Okay, recording. Speak AI, office hours 18. Uh, we're getting better, I feel, at streamlining how many hands and fingers we have to put up. Uh, let's, let's do it. Let's do uh, 18. Oh, crap. There we go. Okay. Yes. Office hours, uh, office hours 18, everyone. So every week, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, get together. No matter what's going on, really. Uh, you know, there's a lot of work. Everyone's busy. I know, no, 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 we're all got a ton of stuff. So I appreciate that everyone's here. Uh, I have a couple of topics that we want to go through today. And again, loving this idea that we're contributing. Uh, you know, everyone's sort of contributing a topic um, uh, quickly. Tyler Bride, uh, one of the creators of Speak AI, love technology, voice, analyzing things pretty happy with the systems that's being built and also working through the complexity of the system that we built and trying to simplify it. So that's been a big theme over the last couple of months and uh, came down to distilled into uh, this even pricing table discussion that we had before this, which was told that's what sort of made my head hurt. Um, but I'm, so, I, I'm, I'm recovering and uh, I'm happy to be here. So maybe just a quick little round of introductions and we'll jump into the topics. Sure. I'm Lauren, uh, staff accountant, admin. Uh, I like data and words and playing with numbers. Beautiful. That's awesome. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Virtual Science CTO at SpeakAI. Uh, doing a system architecture design, uh, a database management, uh, full stack developer, of course, and uh, also doing uh, a lot of work on the voice and AI. Also, full stack marketer. Uh, full stack marketer <laughs> as a on the part-time basis. <laughs> okay. Hey yeah, everyone, I'm Nihal, a uh, digital strategist here at Speak. Uh, yeah, and I also like data and writing and all things voice and AI. Okay, all right. So we'll start off with the sort of big topic of this office hours, which has been an uh, internal shift that has also become, uh, we sort of put public this week, which was, um, switching from a freemium model to a free trial, uh, and that free trial being 14 days long, nice tight loop, 60 free minutes. So you can upload some media, have that experience of the transcription of the insights that are produced and, uh, and really get access to all the features of, of speak and, um, really just wanted to have a discussion on that because it's a pretty big change. We've had about, you know, close to around 800 people on our system. Some of them, you know, very you know, some of them logging in active, you know, all the time, others just, you know, signed up last year <laughs> and have not come back and uh, visited, uh, maybe read our emails, more likely probably unsubscribe from emails. Um, so, you know, what we saw uh, was, you know, this, a desire for us to make, you know, make this change, a desire to understand who we're truly creating value for, and also just um, streamline a lot of the work and what we can do in the initial stages of signing up for Speak to make that uh, engagement, that value be unlocked for anyone who does it. So yeah, just any thoughts on, on this switch, whether technically, business-wise, lessons that you've learned along the way, would love, love to hear and, and chat about that for a couple of minutes. I am very excited about uh, these changes and uh, pushing to the team from quarter one and uh, I'm glad we all came on the table uh, to to make these changes, and uh, because this is important, we made this this uh, current pricing change in the last year. We also talk about in the previous office hours, uh, but we didn't change that much. We always included new features, new solutions uh, based on the ask, and also uh, a couple of things what we believe that is valuable, uh, but we never converted into something monetization. Uh, it's not important every time, but when we do the business, it is important. Uh, otherwise, you need to do uh, the different route to make sure uh, the business uh, stay alive. Uh, I'll take a pause. A lot of them will say something. That's quite all right. Uh, just every so often, you have to reevaluate the actual pricing and just get a feel for what's probably a bit more appropriate. I can't think of a single company in the history of companies that just have one pricing forever and ever. And that kind of just shows that they're not really like improving, they're not really changing. They're just kind of maybe honing down the one thing that they're doing really well for hundreds of years. But I really can't think of any company that's like that. Um, the thing that I'm most curious about with the whole free trial thing is um, uh, before we had like the free plan, which is very limited, but with the free trial, we're like giving away pretty much just everything that we have so they can try uh, anything that they can. 
uh, I'm just curious to see like how many people actually use like APIs and webhooks. Um, I'm not sure like how familiar most people are with that, even like within like the development world, it's like how um, how all encompassing is APIs? Does every like engineer use APIs? Is this just something that's, you know, like to me, it's just a completely foreign thing. I'm sure there's plenty of people listening right now who have no idea what I'm talking about. But. <laughs> right, right, right. Th that's a good point. And I can talk behalf of the dev community, uh, which is pretty common. For an example, when we do the, uh, or any in the, any company, when you do the integrations with the third party, let's uh, let's take a very simple example that will make sense to you, to be honest, which is uh, the Stripe. So when you do the Stripe integrations with your product, uh, the Stripe provide the web hooks, uh, which send to the, let's uh, speak, uh, says that uh, Tyler subscription uh, uh, received the payment, so it got successful. So what speak does is like speak uh, re, uh, just reinitiate uh, his free minutes again for that new month. So basically this is talking software to software, or I would say product to product. So this is, you can consider as the communication channel uh, between product to product. You don't see on the front, you don't uh, interact with that, uh, but two systems are talking with each other uh, using the web books. So whenever, for an example, in the speak perspective, uh, if you have your own product, and if you want to integrate the speak web hooks, how you can use that? So what are the options you have? First of all, you need to understand that. And why do you need in the first place? For example, your product as a third party product, upload an audio or video or text on the speak. You want to receive the notification says that the media is analyzed or text node is analyzed or media is deleted or text is deleted. Let's have these four basic examples, right? So your product now knows that the event happen on the speak so that you can update in your product uh, for whatever your flow is. So these are like the very basic uh, use cases uh, even companies are using. And this is a little bit a talk between product and product. Yeah, I would say the, the API part allows like there's people who want, um, you know, to use the front end of our system. And this is the very sort of, I would say, non uh, development focused or larger organization, uh, you know, are, are, are using the front end of our application, but we have some, you know, very incredible, like JSON, basically like structure, like how we structure the data output that can be stored into a database. And they could, if they even want to develop their own version of a system with a front end and want to display more, like less data than what we've given, they can filter through it all. So there's a lot of ways to sort of send Catch you know the whole the whole thing that our system does, but throughout the back end, which is again an incredibly powerful system. And at some points, we've had people say, you know, guys, focus on the APIs uh, because there's so such a, a an over overhead with some of the front end work that you're doing. But it's also we've tied those together really, um, really nicely, and it's given us a lot of power within the platform. That's the only thing I missed. You're still on. You're off mute. <laughs> No, I, on the API, I just want to touch a little bit. Is like, uh, Lauren, this is, I believe so. this is going to be a little bit of experimentation on how, uh, and, and we all will see some surprises uh, that how people are visualizing the product by their own. Uh, I, I don't want to talk about an idea or a product right now, Nihal. Uh, but for example, uh, if you have any ideas or thought about anything, you can use the Speak API to create your own product and use for your own purposes, right? So you just send a, a whatever an article or the audio video to via Speak API, and uh, once whenever the analysis is ready, use for your own purposes. So I mean, these are going to open up a lot of opportunity uh, uh, on on a good side. I guess Nihal, you've been you know just like you've come in partway through this process and it was, you know, a process of hearing from Lauren and, and that's all, you know, like, guys, we got to rediscuss pricing. We got to figure this out. And I still think there's a lot of gaps in our understanding and knowledge of, um, you know, some of the decisions that we're making and how we're prioritizing these things. Um, but yeah, just would be interested to hear your thoughts on coming into this process, what, you know, what we're hoping to get out of this experiment to just yeah, anything that you're thinking. Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing that's going to be, interesting for us to see is will this free trial change actually 
impact us negatively because to speak to your point earlier about how we have a number of users that are maybe in the system and it's great to flex our user user numbers but uh when we try to go for funding rounds or if we're talking to investors like more than likely they'd be looking at engaged and active users anyways so it would be interesting to see that uh how giving people access to speak as a platform will also help us validate um, certain use cases that maybe we didn't even realize people were willing to pay for and in a way maybe the reason they haven't been using the platform is because it's free right so they they just came in gave it a shot once and they're like well cool <laughs> and then uh just just return to their uh routine uh stack like a software stack and Overall, I think simplifying our pricing as well and maybe organizing it a bit better, which is, is what we're working on, uh, kind of giving people an idea of what they can expect with each tier and deciding what tier works best for them is, uh, is it, it will, will be exciting to see as well. Um, it's, it's definitely a lot more complicated to decide on pricing because when you look at it from the outside in, it's just like, okay. Like just tell me how much it is, and <laughs> let me let me um, let me get on my way. But when you're actually setting up everything, uh, there's obviously things that I, I wouldn't consider that that impacts things on like the development side or uh, even just from a financial perspective. So so that's been interesting to to be a part of. Yeah. It definitely depends on like um, the way the company is set up about how you're. Um, like what you're supposed to be focused on. Like there was this great video from uh, Michael Siebel from uh, Y Combinator talking about like what's important to be tracking. And it all depends on like your business model. Because like you said, if we're moving over from you know free plan to free trial, we're probably going to be losing a lot of users. Um, but when it comes to tracking users, that's only really relevant to people who are giving away like a free product to begin with. Like they're not um, like when you just have you know, a free to use product, like say like YouTube, like they want to see like the user count go up. Uh, but when you have like an actual, like for-profit business where you're trying to like, you know, make money off of users, then it's not so much from like how many users you have. Mm -hmm. It's more about like how much money you get from each user. Cause each user will have like different amounts of uh, willingness uh, to pay. Whereas uh, just a free user is just a free user. That's exactly. pretty much it. Yeah. And it's, it's not like we can start out like, you know, advertising in our freemium model right? like that that's not the kind of company we're trying to be because um, then you're the, like then you're kind of losing money on the customer because exactly. they're supposed to be like a uh, like a lifetime value um mm -hmm. this came up with the video that tyler shared the other day too the lifetime value of every customer but when you have like a free user the lifetime value is always going to be negative because they're always just going to be costing money so that's so like if, you know, I've looked at it as like there's there is a very right now limited because of the way we've built a system like cost weight to them, but I almost think it's just like uh, a mental weight or like emotional weight that comes with it. Like you're trying, and, and I think part of the shift has been like first of all, you can't run uh, you can't run a company on free. Uh, even if you're going for like, uh, you know, even if you're going for what, what we've seen are different models, right? There's companies that take on venture funding. They want to grab market share. So they reduce their prices significantly, or they even offer a free product, get the growth in users, and then start to figure out the levers that are, um, you know, creating conversion activities or value activities that then they can charge for. That's typically how you see. But when you are, at least to date, anyways, we are not going that route and haven't took on a big, you know, uh, you know, $5 million round uh, or, or whatever, then we need to optimize for paying users. And so that's just a shift. And it, and I, you know, I talked about this maybe in office hours before, but that idea of like what the one company that we are working with who is doing virtual events, selling, yeah, like selling tickets, selling less tickets because they were paid tickets, but more people would show up on the final day versus they started giving the tickets away for free. Way more people would register, but no one would show up on the on the, on the the event day because they hadn't put an investment into that ticket. They hadn't put an investment into the event. And, you know, when we're looking at who we want to optimize for, it's people who are, you know, as much as we wish we could optimize for everyone, we only have so much capacity as a team. And that's been realized this year. And it's like, you can only 
the ideal is you're optimizing around people who see the value in your product and are willing even to exchange money for that because we've built something so valuable. So it's also just like, where can we focus and what can we, you know, what can we do to make sure that we're su successful here? Uh, I agree. And, and what, what I learned throughout the process, to be honest, in the last two and a half year related to specifically for the pricing is there is no right answer. If we all as a team can communicate with our customer, that's a right pricing. It's like, can we even talk on the same, with the same page saying that what goes under which plan? And if we can communicate better, I think that makes more sense because there is no right answer. That is not a definition of the pricing because what Lauren touched upon is like the business model. Everyone's business model is different. They are in the different stages of the company, the level, the team size, what they can do, the capacity. It's like, this is all in included when we, when we do the pricing package. And uh, what is coming new with, with this new pricing is I feel very confident with the segmentations, what we are, what we are trying to do that help also us to talk with the same language and also easily with the customer. But again, like that time will say, but uh, these are the two words. And like there's, um, uh, Ty, you just brought up, like you're having free users, you're not going to make any money from them. Um, which some people do like take for Facebook, for instance, this is all free, but they're still making money, you know, selling people's information. So that's uh, another business model that we could have uh, considered, you know, just give all this away for free under the condition that we're going to sell the data or on the flip side, we charge them, but we also take like their privacy very seriously, their security very seriously and charge them for their security, I suppose. Yes. We take security very seriously and the privacy yeah. too. Yeah, I don't think I don't think most people would want to be uploading conversations and then seeing ads about something they had just uploaded into that, even if it was free. So I think that was I, I you know, the, the advertising model of that is uh you know a very, I mean it's scary that some of these organizations rely so much on advertising as their uh, business model, and we've seen the impacts of that. So uh, I'm glad we I think we're making the right decision <laughs> with uh, with that and. Um, I'm trying to think anything else to add here, but like, you know, overall it was like a tough decision because for myself, it was like, I've always wanted this. I always had this idea of like wanting to democratize technology, like, like give it to people. And especially some of the stuff that we're doing, it's like giving this analysis potential and, and a ways to manage media that often has only been reserved for like, you know, technical elites, developers, large companies, you know, I wanted to be able to give that power to someone who is not, who doesn't have that. And including me, you know what I mean? The first, when I realized the potential of some of this technology, I was trying to access it through APIs and things and I just couldn't do it. It was, it was too abstract to me and I couldn't functionally do it. And I said, wow, I wish I could have the ability to do this. And I, I know that other people um, do too. And, and we've seen, again, the difference between someone using the API and leveraging our tech through that, but also how much joy we've been able to give through the front end with the right customer um, by taking a very complex thing and making it as intuitive as we possibly can. And that's the stuff that gives us joy. And really, we just want to continue investing in that. We want to continue doubling down on that. And over the last several years, we've learned a lot. When people signed up for a, a you know, the freemium model, it was really awesome because they would put in you know, what job title they do, what's the main goal they're trying to accomplish. Like these things became huge drivers for us to understand even where to prioritize and what to do. And, and now it's like with those lessons, we can use that to make a better product and also figure out that our, the work we've done is valuable enough to at least ask for uh, some reinvestment back. So um, any other thoughts here on this topic? I think this segues pretty nicely into some of our other uh, topics for today, but any last thoughts on switching to the free trial and the, and, and the change that's being made here? I'm just excited to make sure we set up the proper um, uh, measurements just to see like, like, I don't think as far as this whole free trial grows that we've made like, well, I guess we have some sort of a hypothesis of how much the percentage of people that are going to convert over from that, but um, uh, we should probably make sure that you know, we're tracking that number too so yes yes this is an experiment it's cool yeah and i think it's cool because i feel like this the switch to this has also spurred us on to make some other uh, needed changes as well like it, it 
that tie into the shift as well. So that's one. You know, ideally, like one of the ongoing things we've you know talked about is just like, you know, this is in a way there's a, a like a leap of faith that needs to be made, especially specifically for my you know for myself here too, which has been you know I I've still continued to do a lot of like impl- implementations and marketing analytics and stuff to help you know fund fund this operation, and it's like if we don't start optimizing towards paying users, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to make that jump. You know, yeah, of course. Fun. Yeah, it's not going to come. And that, you know, it's, it maybe it's taken a little too long to realize that. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy that we still have a, I'm happy that we have a, you know, we're continue to grow and we still have a great team around to help implement this. And like Neil sort of said the other day, it almost feels like we're two years in, but we're almost starting from scratch again with this. Cause we might have a moment where it's like, we might make this change. Uh, even for example, how many we emailed everyone in the app and it's like only 20% of the people open that email. So 80% of people never even found out that this change is coming. So we're going to have to, first of all, recontact them. But what if out of the 800 users, only two of them are like, you know what, I'm going to pay for this. You know, that shows that makes a huge, it's a a truth that we want to find. Um, but it's a a truth that we're going to have to deal with. And it's going to be, you know, a, a fresh sort of ground that we stand on once that change is made. So that's both scary, but also very exciting. Um, and again, we're grateful for, you know, I'm grateful for all of you guys, but just all the support in general that's brought us to this stage to even be able to try to make this make this change. Yep. I agree. And, and, and I, I read somewhere is like when you work in the startup or early stage company, you always and every day feels is like the first day. Because there are always be so many things to do. You always improve and you always do the uh, improvements on the product, either or the business model or maybe even the marketing. So it's always like the changing game un- unless until you, you reach a point where, you, where we all feel that, okay, this is, this, is the, this is the peak point where we want to now turn our boat on some different directions or maybe some different products on top of that could be hardware product or something. Uh, but I, I definitely have some uh, that link or essay uh, which talk about when you work in the early stage company because there are so many challenges uh, we need to overcome and I need to come on the point about the pricing and the and the development changes too because when we when we make any any those shift that also needs to manage for of course for the new users but also the current users and uh, that is sometimes a challenge to address that because what happened, you might satisfy the new customers with this new pricing, but uh, it is not always be easier to manage the current users, the current, whatever that could be the notes or the recordings or anything. So yes, there are challenges, but uh, that's a fun uh, to work on the engineering side uh, to, to overcome this. I'm glad you have fun doing that too. <laughs> That's a fun. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, just one last point to that. Uh, you know, yesterday I did a, a panel for Western University and a, a good friend of the company, Zamir um, from VidHug was there. And, and before Zamir started VidHug, he worked in like biomedical engineering, doing a lot of research that then was transferred into commercial products and technologies. And he's like, the, the, there's a big difference between companies doing research and a big com- uh, difference between commercialization. And I feel like, you know, what I, what I realized, you know, throughout this process is just like so much of it was actually, you know, research driven. Like now that we're, now that we've got our platform together and we can manipulate audio and video data like this, like now we're starting to see where there's value adds. Like it was almost like, didn't even, weren't even aware of that until we got this deep. And now we can see small things or triggers or, you know, Nihal, we won't bring it up, but like, you know, the idea that came for you about how we could make more value out of the insights that we wouldn't have figured out unless we had gotten this deep into it. So, you know, now the, the, the goal of this is, okay, we've built something that, you know, inherently, I mean, we look in the market, we see things, just generally, you see things that people are buying and people are selling 
that you know it has not been as much work put into the product or it is not as valuable as offering and yet they're successfully selling it and we've got to switch into that mode we want we've got to switch into this commercialization mode and are very excited about that shift figure out what we've done wrong figure out what assumptions were wrong uh figure out where our product sucks where it excels those are all great uh, exciting things that we're learning every day but are going to continue to learn over these next few months so i look forward to sharing some lessons uh, uh with that um maybe okay. you up. Maybe, yes, exactly. It's a toddler. Uh, so, okay, we've got a couple of topics here. Um, who wants to go? Who wants to, who wants to bring a, a go, go for their which, topic? Which one flows best? I feel like the fact that we're asking that hurt the flow. Um, but <laughs> I, uh, you know, you know what, um, Michal, let's go with yours because then I think that can go into Lauren's and then also Vatsal's uh, toward, at the end there. It sort of all ties together, I think. Um, before I start, just it's it's really fun. Like I, I just hopped into Product Hunt, and from today's uh, hunted products, at least six of them are like Notion based because <laughs> of the API, right? Like it was released what three days last week. So like I, I just had a feeling. I was just waiting for this day. I'm like, <laughs> I feel like there's just yeah. gonna be like twenty different apps coming out that all work with Notion, which I mean is smart, right? And kind of in a way ties into what we're talking about, which is how, how do you figure out growth channels and how do you um, decide which channels to also double down on, which I, I think has maybe been a, a sore point for us, but maybe just something, a, a point we haven't really discussed in depth or really focused on uh, any particular channel uh, in the past little while, like we've, we've had ideas, we've drafted out ideas. Uh, but I, I guess where we fall short sometimes is just in ultimate execution uh, or consistent ex execution, right? Cause e even for us, obviously things are in flux and we, we always have to be ready to just do what needs to be done, right. To move the business forward. But sometimes I feel like it's important to take a look at all your growth channels, decide which one you're going to actually focus on and then figure out how that looks from a effort, time, and also financial perspective. Because looking at our plan, for instance, we, you know, it's, it's been, I guess, just over a month and a half uh, for me. And in, in the month and a half, we've discussed everything from you know, SEO to outbound to um, email marketing to, uh, you know, potential launches to community building, right? But I feel, I feel like despite all these, uh, these conversations, up until this point, we haven't really just picked a channel to go after or two channels, right? Because I feel like with growth hacking, growth marketing, whatever you want to call it, it's always important to potentially run like let's say you pick three channels to focus on uh and within that it could be your focus is split you know 70 20 10 or 60 30 10 whatever that breakdown is um to really uh drive growth through a specific channel that we feel comfortable um working on so you know for us it's it's, it's looking like as, as the day goes by it's looking more and more like um for us, that channel might be more on the content and SEO side, side of things. But I also guess to, to bring back around to my topic, it's how exactly do we go about, you know, making that decision and how does that decision, you know, uh, tie into our overall business goals as well? I think it links nicely with what, I mean, what Lauren's topic is about a bit too, which is, you know, even what metric, you know, sorry, I guess I don't want to spoil that, but like what metrics are we also prioritizing? And so when we look into, for example, our analytics in our system, you know, we know most generally organic search has been our biggest driver of net new signups, net new signups of people. We have no idea who they are, which is great. That's wonderful. I, you know, what I, I would like to know actually more clearly would be, out of those net new signups that have ever come from organic search, how much revenue has that generated? 
that's a different thing, you know, like, again, we're in a, a spot now where because we're switching to this free trial uh, and, you know, I've tried to, you know, build the, build the product out like that new net new people who come to the site, see that there's a free trial willing to test that trial um, and are still signing up. Um, and if we can get that activation and, 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 and deliver the value that that's a more powerful channel for us. So like, I guess that's one, like SEO is always a great channel to me because I love the idea of, you know, just in general, you search for, you have a, you have a problem, you format that problem into words and you search for it and you find an answer, you know, and if you can provide good value, then, then there's a great opportunity there. Of course, there is the other side of that, which is SEO can take time, you know, SEO can take, it's hard to write these, you know, guides that, that we talked about. And, uh, you know, Nihal and, you know, talked about that quite extensively, like to, to generate the level of quality in a competitive, some of these very competitive terms that we do want to rank for is not just this one, you know, you can't just go with your eyes closed and write that article out or write that guide out. So I think there's some things for us to think about, which is, we know that that's the investment that we want to make and content in general allows us to put content on the site, but can be shared to other channels. It can also be a growth asset, it can be a sales asset. It can be a tool. And just as an example, Nihal did some great work to write some pages on some of the alternatives or like, you know, quote unquote competitors in the market. That's created amazing contextual links across the web and is actually driven um, clicks, impressions, signups. Um, and so we've, you know, those are all powerful things where am I going with this? I guess the last part that I just want to add is like, in general, though, I still think a lot of the stuff has come down to when I look at revenue, revenue coming into Speak AI, a lot of those have still come from business development and personal relationships, or at least an outreach to them. So to me, there's the two, you know, if we could get down to two channels, which is one, the content, because you need the content to back back up, even if you're doing outreach. But I still think there is this process of needing to outreach to people. And the idea of like good marketing, good sales is like there's more people that know about your business today than did yesterday. And hopefully those people fit into the customer segment that you're looking at. And the part that I'm trying to work through now, lastly, is just like the capacity of that, the capacity to manage customer success that are current customers today and also generating net new leads and people who are prospective customers and also giving them the follow-up and the love that they deserved for them to fully understand our platform and onboard that. So that's a big, you know, it's a big task. And, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out the best way to split that up and generate the capacity for that. And I'm grateful again, to have some people being added to the team to help, but it's uh, definitely a, a puzzle piece that continues to have to be put together. Yeah. It's, it's interesting speaking on those points, because one of the Ever since you introduced me to that uh, contentdistribution.com, I've, I've been mildly, mildly obsessed with, with that company and uh, actually joined their uh, SEO Facebook group recently. So it'll be interesting to see what, what comes out of that. But, you know, you take a look at what they've done for some of their clients and how, like uh, the founder of, of that company just just posted like a, I, I see that fat soul so reacted to it, um, but he he made a he, like he posted on LinkedIn basically saying how, you know they released this free not not free tool but they released a uh, marketing tool, and they were able to go from zero to uh, 135k ARR um, without doing kind of like the typical startup launch right like they, they didn't do product hunt they didn't do AppSumo, didn't really do cold outreach or even paid ads right while all their focus was essentially based around um we are your subject matter experts and we're here to help you solve this myriad of issues you have and i'm considering the the strength we have in our team right like whether that's on the technical side marketing side i i I do think it'll be quite a bit of work, but I think if we can capitalize on that expertise and present it to people in a way that we're selling to them without selling to them, right? We're selling to them by helping them, essentially. I think that's how how we're really going to get to where we want to be because that, that's that's also kind of why Speak was founded in the first place, right? To help people access. It was to help with accessibility, help people find 
things that they, they, they might have lost or right? things they didn't even know that they wanted to know. And basically building up this, this idea that as speak, we're not just here to sell you this software product, right? Obviously, any person will, can tell that we're a business, but at the end of the day, our goal is to help you solve a problem you have, a problem that, that hurts enough that you're willing to pay us you know, 15 to 100 bucks or more to, <laughs> to solve. Um, and I, I know we had a super quick talk about like what that looks like, what that looks like from like a hiring front, what that looks like from a team front, how does the team actually contribute to this? And it, it'll be interesting to keep building out those, uh, those uh, procedures, I guess. Yeah. Have, I have I have one follow-up questions on your question actually. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you have worked in, in last many years on the on the SEO marketing and mm -hmm. also as a digital specialist and the strategist. So it's like from your experience. Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean yes, I like those articles on, on the LinkedIn when they say those are the catchy titles of course. putting yeah, zero yeah. to one thirty-five K. There are so many things goes behind the scene, right? There are so many experiments goes behind mm -hmm. the scene. Uh, but they just talk about what it the worked wins. for them, yeah. right? The wins, right? Yeah. No, one, no one is sad about uh, which things didn't work. So from experience, the question is, do you believe going behind one, two, or three static number uh, strategies uh, throughout the year could help business to grow? So you can put anything on the first, second, and third priority. Could be SEO marketing, content creation, talking with customers. So do you think is that putting exact three things for one year, does that help to grow the business or flipping one, two, three options every quarter or maybe every, I would say every quarter would be the ideal uh, help to understand what works and what not works because the products are different and so the solutions. So how, how, what do you think about that? So I think when it comes to, to growth, like gr growth and marketing uh, are no longer as static as they used to be. Um, it's, it's not just, you know, let's go dump 20, 20 K a month into paid advertising and hope that it sticks. Right. That is hope. Um, yeah. That, that, that's hope. <laughs> right. Like it, it's, it's not data driven. It's not uh, experiment. -driven. But to, to answer your point, I think there are certain things that, in, in my opinion, just, just from a marketing perspective, that businesses have to do, right? And, and to me, one of that is um, education and it, it, just solving problems, right? Because let's say, um, especially the way Google and like how Google is approaching search now, it's no longer about can you like stuff keywords, for instance, right? It's semantic, it, like it, it's contextual. It's if someone lands on your page, uh, let's say they were looking for how to do like video sentiment analysis, right? Why should Google keep showing your site as an authoritative source um, if you don't prove that you're an authoritative source? Because let, let's say, you know, like when we have like some of our bigger clients that we have right now, like they trust you guys, right? Like you, you guys like, have shown them that you know what you're talking about you're not just trying to like you know you didn't just sell them a product and then you left them left them uh out to dry right it's you sold them a product told them how to use the product and you've continually taught them how to use the product better um and so yeah like to your point right going back to that initial kind of breakdown um i think within that let's say 60 you know 30 10 bucket you're going to have a channel uh, just based on our capacity as well, right? Um, I, I think that that really helps. So for instance, if we had a dedicated content person, right? Um, it becomes a lot easier to churn out 30 articles a month, right? Um, if we had a dedicated email specialist, it's very easy yep. to build like 20 email funnels. <laughs> so, but but the, <laughs> the constraint is the, the capacity and, and, exactly. and the resources, right? I mean, exactly. that's the same thing also works let's on the engineering side. Mm -hmm. We can see a lot of integrations, a lot of things. If you have uh, a person who just focus on 
the one task could be let's say google meet integration zoom integration any integrations third party uh but but the 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 restriction over here is like the number of resources and and the 24 hour capacity here for all of us uh yeah so it yeah, because so. because you mentioned about talking about the different uh, from your one and a half month experience talking about different strategy uh could be community building mm-hmm. uh, the help sections could be the google seo thing what we are doing uh but the one party didn't make sense to me was uh if we just focus on three two things for a year because the time is the main piece here mm-hmm. then how does that work on the marketing side because i always believe from the engineering perspective is like unless you don't figure out the solution you just need to you just need to try to experiment different things what works the best uh for that problem so i mean i just wanted to know is like that doesn't a little bit make sense to me to yeah i i, th- I think but you know like uh, there there's obviously innovation and there's obviously continually continually providing new new value but to a degree when you don't have your basics in place right if if we don't have our basics in place it's it's a lot harder to build so so you know so what is the definition of the basics here uh in in my opinion basics in place would be like so, so t- t- take the existing state of our content for instance right it's someone comes to our site their information about what speak does how they can use speak more or less just lives on the landing pages right um like in app to date we haven't really built out too much of an onboarding process for instance right like it's in the works but it's not something that we've built uh, built out previously so where how do how do people where do people normally go after that maybe they go into like you know the help section maybe they go to your blog right um and i think building out some core pieces that are tied to our overall growth so something that is useful for us as like a a selling tool but is also something that you know like the next time Tyler goes to like one of his conferences and he's like talking to a researcher it's like hey you know like here here's a guide on how you can use speak to like analyze your like you know your uh, your interviews right and like the, and once again considering that a, a large chunk of our i guess enterprise and higher paying customer pool tends to be uh what's the word i'm looking for at, at a higher kind of, like we we're allowed to maybe even speak at a higher like technical level to them right where they want to understand how exactly you're, you they're going to be using the system to solve these complex problems that the average person wouldn't care about right and i i find at least right now that's that's not something we have uh and we're taking steps towards that right like for instance uh you helped me with the getting this this help guide off the ground and that's i i think that's a great first step for just general user experience as well right cuz when i talk about content when i talk about focusing on content as a growth channel it's not just writing for google it's writing for our users right and and by writing it could also be videos right like tyler's recorded a couple of video interviews but it's like how accessible are they like how do we make stuff more accessible and that that all fits um fits neatly within our content strategy like obviously i think once again so speaking capacity there's only so much you can do without context switching all day right um <laughs> uh and then uh secondary to that there's you're always going to want to focus at least a a larger bulk of your effort towards a channel that's already working and then smaller chunks of time uh to experiment with you know let's say four or five other channels that you you're not sure if they work just yet so let's say we're putting 50% of our time towards organic stuff and then the other we you know test out email we test out outbound we test out posting on reddit um and right. over time we can be like okay now you know we've noticed that email doesn't do anything for us at this point so now we're just going to double down on um organic and let's say forum forum uh forums Uh, I agree yeah. because right then that this is the different what you just explained yeah. uh, your last part is different than 60 30 10 breakdown yes a uh, little bit right because yeah. 
50% is just focus on you believe that's working and you also mm. see the uh, from could be the onboarding process or onboarding details we receive and other 48 divided into this different channel yeah yeah Nihal, i had like a good great example the other day of uh, you know there's a, a blog post that uh, i believe lexi wrote that's so understanding the impact of perception so it actually drives a ton of impressions and clicks to our sites every month doesn't really con- connect specifically with speak at least today the speak of today great article really interesting stuff but i don't think anyone's ever read that article and said okay now i want to use this software it's more just this educational uh article and and so you know he asked a great sort of thought exercise of like if we stripped away a couple of these articles that were written a long time ago how much of these contribute directly to the growth of speak and uh that's why is uh categorically uh, destroying pages on our site uh, to, uh, to, you know, to focus on, you know, what's, what is actually creating true value and what's leading, you know, driving us towards the growth of, um, you know, you know, now I'll bring in, I guess, what Lauren wants to talk about today, some of the metrics that we're aiming for and, and how we, how we measure the success of that. So Lauren, my friend, talk a little bit about your topic. I know we're coming up for time, but this is a, this is a, you know, sort of leads right to it. Oh, sure. I've just been spending my week doing lots of projections. And uh, as far as projections go, it's important to have an understanding of where you've come from and then where you're going from there. Um, so always uh, a metrics always helpful for at least quantifying that at least. Um, and there's just a lot of uh, different um, levels of metrics too. Uh, there's some really simple stuff, like the things that I follow most often is just revenue growth, uh, expense uh, growth, uh, you know, gross profit margins, stuff like this, all like the accounting stuff. Um, that's more so relevant to like my work. I'm not sure like how much impact it really has on your work too. Um, like when it comes to metrics um, and like keeping track of them from time to time, it's a matter of what, what, is, what, if, what am I doing right now that's influencing this number? If it's going up, it's going down, because it can really help you to um, uh, get some introspection on like on your whole workflow and what uh, what impact it really does make. And uh, the metrics that I've been um, getting more and more interested in is the uh, metrics that everybody has more uh, control of, or like more of an impact, like together collectively. Like uh, constantly, you you hear that. The most important metric for like SaaS companies, especially, is uh, the ratio of lifetime value to customer acquisition cost, and um, I think that's it is super important just because it's like both sides of the whole SaaS business. Like lifetime value is really being influenced by like the whole engineering team. Like you're putting in, uh, you're making a product that's you know driving retention that people are constantly coming back to more and more spending more and more money on so um lifetime value really has a connection to the actual work that the engineering team puts into it and then on the flip side too the cost of uh, acquiring a customer that's entirely uh all on like the sales and marketing side of the uh, the company like how much of their time do they put into actually acquiring customers too so it's really like I feel like LTV to CAC is really like the yin and the yang of uh, everything, all the work that we do here. And uh, it's just, these numbers too are extremely complicated um, just because they can go a lot deeper. Like for example, cost of acquiring uh, customers, like sure you have your advertising expenses, but then you have uh, the salaries of you two guys, especially. And then it's like, you have to break down the time like how you spend all of your weeks, what do you, what goes towards acquiring which customers too? Because uh, we're quite complicated in that we're not just you know we're just getting software comp- uh, uh, customers like just B two C. We have B two B as well. We have so many different people that we're going towards. So it really makes it complicated. Like what? Because then it become, becomes like the amount of time that you guys are putting into marketing and sales. Who are you marketing towards? Who are you selling towards? And like how many people from that? Uh, that group are you getting um so yeah i just wanted to bring this up ask like what you guys um follow from day to day uh month to month and like how it really impacts your whole your whole workflow like you have your mindset of what i have to do today and um i want to understand like 
uh, how you feel about the impact that that work has on this number. I mean, I'll add you know, one part where I see, like, in a way, <clears throat> you know, a lesson I've learned this year, like, I mean, one of the things that always comes back as any company, especially when an owner of the company is like, I want this business to be profitable. Uh, I want those net earnings to be positive. And, you know, and we've achieved that sometimes, and there's other times we haven't, but what's been interesting has been <sighs> sometimes those wins that you get to achieve profitability are short-term wins especially when you're doing something that's not necessarily directly contributing to the ultimate mission that you have. So again, I've maybe, you know, taken on an advertising implementation because it generates some solid cash flow for us. But then now I'm doing a context shift constantly. I'm monitoring someone else's success and uh, I'm not, then there's the opportunity cost of what I should be contributing. You know, in those 10 hours, I could be doing impactful things directly contribute to the speaks mission outside of that profitability aspect. And so there's been a lot of times in this own journey throughout these years where it has been, you know, I've always wanted to look towards the long term, but I feel like you can't figure out the short terms of sustainability that you can't even get to the long term. So I've had to make a lot of compromises and sacrifices along that journey. And like the thing that I'm, I'm trying to figure out is like, we've talked about like North Star metrics and what things we see as being most successful for our customers. Um, and then, you know, just one thing that sticks out to me, just as an example, like a lot of, there's a lot of, um, uh, like investors, especially in more sophisticated VC firms, if they're evaluating what your company looks like, what do they do? They actually plug into your Stripe account and they analyze your Stripe account. And that's how they understand if you should, they should make an investment in your company. Uh, that's, you know, clear, 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 co clear bank that, you know, that was literally how one of the ways that they sort of differentiated and drove growth so quickly. Um, they were looking specifically at Shopify store, but you know, same, same idea. And it's like, even for that, like half some of our revenue comes through Stripe, some of it comes through QuickBooks. So we've already separated these accounting systems and make that a hard, you know, a hard calculation to make. So, you know, the, the part that I'm trying to figure out right now is yeah, like what are those could prioritize revenue, but if you prioritize revenue in a way that doesn't take you towards your ultimate goal. It's actually taking you further away from the ultimate goal. Um, so, uh, yeah. Oh, and there, that's just something I've been thinking about a lot. No, you have, a, you have a good point. I, I would encourage you to, uh, take a look, uh, on, on Dharmesa from HubSpot. Uh, he released an article on exactly what you talk about, how to maintain them ratio and, uh, uh, what to look at and when. So when you are one year in, two year in, three year in, in the business, uh, what should that ratio should look like? And uh, then how to switch or make the decisions based on that number. Uh, I will have that link even after, the, after this call, but uh, he, he explained about with this, just specifically for the SaaS company, what they're missing with these numbers and how they screwed up at three year or three and a half year down the line and uh, what you can make sure to improve before that. Yeah, that just wanted to say it's like that that was a very interesting article and he also talked about uh, x percentage number could be one i don't remember the exact number but was around 150 it's like if that goes over that then that's a red flag so you need to see that what's going wrong when you reach this number with the ratio that's a thing that i was worried about too is um, maybe there are some metrics that you probably shouldn't be following uh, or maybe not following yet because it could really just destroy your whole um, your whole path of work, your whole day, essentially, because you're just thinking about this number that is, uh, especially like percentage in the early stage, it's just so construed. And you may be thinking you're doing a lot better or a lot worse than you actually are. But uh, it's all, uh, that's one thing that's really confusing to me is like, when's the right time to track metrics and which, which metrics are actually harmful for you? Because like the idea is like all, as much, information as you can get as much data you can crunch through it's all going to be helpful but maybe there's something that's just going to be blocking your vision in a way what, what is the harmful in this case what, what do you mean by harmful is that impact your like day a, to day it's like a metric that could be yeah like just me, construed yeah. way too much so you think you're doing a lot better or a lot worse than you really are maybe Isn't not like a good sign because yeah. that that will tell you that this is the red flag it's like hey 
now you cross the limit or something like that. Yeah, like it's not like any metric specifically, but like maybe mm -hmm. it's just the way that the metric is uh, construed at the moment, just based on the data that you do have, that you're making bad decisions based on the data that you have, like maybe too much, too little. Uh, there's a lot of nuance to it. Ideally, you're using a metric that's a very good metric that's accurate, that is like a binary decision maker for you. Like, it's like, am I contributing to this? Yes or no. If I'm not, then I have to really prioritize if I should be doing this task. And that needs to be an accurate, you know, that needs to be an accurate assessment. And we, I see that all the time in marketing and analytics where someone thinks that they've got, you know, again, for example, X contact form submissions, they figured out that their tracking tag wasn't working. And now all their analysis or understanding or how they were optimizing was based off a false conversion rate or a false number of conversions. So it's also just like accurately choosing those metrics and making sure they are the right ones. And also that we don't overload ourselves with metrics because like something that you know, Nihal's brought up today and even as, as we're looking at some KPI stuff, it's like, it's just like anytime you choose you choose 10 metrics you're not going to be able to optimize for all those metrics you know choose one choose two you know the the more especially with small capacity the more diluted those efforts get maybe you can add some more if they're all nicely tied together but like i see lots of companies say you know we we want to get as many um you know signups as possible but i also uh i want to make sure that our instagram following goes up <laughs> and it's like when you make that choice you are you, you get 50% success on both of those and which means you failed. Uh, and, and so that's the, that's the opportunity cost. So that's the trade-off by choosing the wrong metrics. Um, yeah, that's, that's all, that's all I got to say. <laughs> Nihal, you're off mute. What's up, buddy? Um, no, I, I guess to that point, it's, it's also important for us to maybe have, like, obviously I think each, even, even though each, let's call it each department has, will have their own individual metrics. Um, it's, it's also important for us to have unified metrics that uh, mm. speak across channels, right? So if engineering, like kind of with that, that whole idea of not living in a silo, right? So if engineering believes that retention is the, the one true North Star, right? It's like how does sales and marketing fit into achieving that true North Star, right? Assuming that's a universal metric that we've agreed on, or if there's like five universal metrics we've agreed on, right? How, how, how does the inter, interdisciplinary um, contribution um, fit into that? That's what, like, I remember you talking about one day, you know, big, big development company focused companies, like the one of the metrics is like uh, how many bugs you push into production. Yeah. as a developer right so like that's a as very a, yeah that's a great metric to follow especially once you've got a very sophisticated team built out and they're like really focused on optimization yeah. but then it's like if you're yeah just those are there's a trade-off for example if that's the main metric for you is that are then you contributing to the main trade-off of retention or are you like you know there's trade-offs with just any metric you choose to decide so i think it's a, a good worthwhile discussion to have i'm glad it was a a topic point yeah. To, to, to print, especially as we make these changes with the free trial and we start to see a more rapid feedback loop of what's working and what's not working. Um, you know, that becomes very important for us to make sure as more data starts streaming through that we're prioritizing those things properly. But I, I strongly believe that this matrix should come from the business side, not the engineering side. Uh, otherwise that screw up the business instead of helping the business. Uh, so business should set the metrics that engineering would help them to grow or, you know, contribute into the direction. Otherwise, if think about the engineers are setting the metrics for the business, like that doesn't make connect, that doesn't make any sense or connections there. It's like business set the metrics that we want. Uh, we just want to focus. I also read one article uh, on. What, what do you want to do when you are in the early stage company? And uh, when you are an early stage, you want to do a many things at the same time. Uh, could be the user acquisitions, user retention, uh, maybe making sure the onboarding floor or many other things. But in that article, they talk about, it's a very successful company. I can set an article again after, after this call, but they talk about, they just focused for two or three quarter on, on the user acquisition. 
every single department from marketing, sales, engineering, uh, even the in, even the customer success, they just focus on uh, the customer acquisitions because once once they have the base, the volume to talk about, find the problems, hear from their customers, then the use, user retentions comes to the picture. But when you are dealing with 50 customer, what the heck you're gonna do with the user retention? Just get the 5,000, 50,000, maybe 500K customer and then talk about the user retention with 20%, 30%, 40%. So that's a, that's a great learning lesson I learned and, and just wanted to share with everyone. It's like, focus on one matrix at the time could be the user acquisition go after that and because that change again uh nihal you talk about the matrix uh, and also on and because this changed the whole game now you talk about the different level of matrix just related to the user acquisition not the retention because the retention matrix are different you want to track the different things when they are on the platform so the change or screw up the whole game Oh, and, uh, go ahead, yeah. oh okay. no, I was just going to ask, I guess as a final point, do you think that, um, like, so, so do you think metrics should be, um, right, let me rephrase. So for instance, in, in, in your mind, uh, engineering helps, you know, like achieve business goals. Right. And whatever those business mm -hmm. goals are, right. Whether that's acquisition or retention. Mm -hmm. uh, but do those like, is, is there ever a situation where it's the flip where like, let's, let's say like your marketing team contributes to retention and like, what does that potentially look like as well? Right. Like does marketing even have a hand in retention? Right. Yes. Uh, and Okay. Yeah, no, so, so I'm just wondering, like, because just going back to the initial point, right, like, it, it's cross-functional, right? Like, obviously, yes, yes b business has to set these, these, um, these metrics, but engineering is part of the business process as well. Right? Exactly, absolutely. Yeah. For sure, there's no doubt in that, because, for example, your messaging techniques is going to be completely different, yeah. right? Because when you talk about user equation, you're talking about the solutions, uh, how you can help. Mm -hmm. But when it switched to the user retention, now you're gonna start talking about, let's say in the transcription, what they can do, what, okay, you use X feature, how about this one, right? Because you are trying to make them engaged uh, into that solution. So that changed the messaging, that changed the email threads, that change the campaigns, that change the, your Facebook, Google advertisement, everything. The, the articles you are going to write about is not about user acquisition, it's about user retention. It's like your strategy is completely different now. You're talking with a different language. So for example, even I, Tyler, you, or the, it's like everyone is going to be somewhere on the, on the webinar or somewhere. Our language change, right? Because now we are talking at the different level is we are talking about user retention. Mm -hmm. It's like we are providing the solution, 50% user are using transcription, 30% are using analysis. Now we want to focus on which channel we want to more focus upon, right? So, and also even the user retention or user acquisitions, those are the one simple metrics, but that depends completely on the OKR. So now OKR is the top level architecture we are talking about for a one year that divides into the four quarter and four quarters is divided by and like you know what what's gonna what we're gonna do in this quarter so that could be the two quarter challenge or three quarter or it could be the one quarter uh, uh focus just on the one matrix so it's uh, that the high level i learned is like the okr which we which we all set from last one and a half year through the okr we divide the quarterly goals and the quarterly goals basically are all aligned with this matrix Coming at the uh, the end of time time here, that's all. I think you sort of had a topic, but I think we got part of it. I think we yeah, can talk we got about a, quite a bit on that side. The part we've talked about before, and uh, you know, just as part of that OKRs, we've mentioned this before, but it's also the ICE model, which is the impact, confidence, and ease of then delivering on those OKRs. And you know, I think that for myself, as we come to the end of this month, there's definitely a need to revisit the OKRs because it's been a very uh, fast moving uh, quarter uh, okay. to date, you know, we're almost through it uh, in, in a way. And just I'll add one last complexity that's very interesting to the, the part about what you're prioritizing, like 
you know, we in the past, like, you know, and this is my own fault, um, but like, like, especially when it's Vats and I first working together, it's like, how, what, how many, it's like, how many, how many features can we build? You know what I mean? And it's not necessarily how many, uh, you know, how, think it's like, how, not, not, it's not necessarily how many benefits are we creating? How many solutions are we generating? It's like, can we do this? Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's a, a lesson that I've learned throughout this. I would process. say that is my fault. Uh, I, I just needed, I just not needed to be executed on those things. It's like, nope. Uh, uh, you know, that, that could be the different scenario and we wouldn't have a lot of features in the app to be honest. Uh, yeah. So that's what, I mean, we've got now a well-featured app now. It's just, again, putting it in the right, in the right place. <laughs> and it's just also one last part that is very interesting, right? Is some companies aren't even optimizing for acquisition or retention. They're optimizing for IP. They're optimizing for a milestone so they can get to their next fundraise. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy even where you are as a company and what you're trying to optimize, how much those metrics can change. And uh, I just always use that. My, you know, life to me has always been, you know, you think you, you're, 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 you're diving into something, but you think that thing is a small puddle. And then as you get closer to the puddle, you realize it's a lake. And then as you start walking to the lake, it just becomes this ocean. Everything is so deep. There's so many nuances to everything. And uh, it's a, a continued lesson that makes life scary, wonderful, beautiful. Uh, and uh, again, very glad to share uh, that, that time with you. So um, in it's that mind- It's a changing world. Yes, exactly. So with that mind, any last thoughts from anyone here today? Yes, I want to share uh, one amazing tweet uh, okay. because we talk about a lot of things from beginning to the, uh, to the early stage. Uh, so that the tweet is about uh, the first time founder and the second time founder. So what, what the first time founder uh, do, uh, they make a tons of features. Everything is automated. Zero sales call, uh, minimal marketing and sales to startup. It's like sales to early stage company. And what second time founder do is like limited feature, hands-on support, everything is manual. Uh, daily sales call, paid and unpaid marketing, sales to the specific niche. So uh, th that sticks to my mind is like, you know, and, and I also, I also message him about, it's like, these are the learning relations uh, you learn because either you learn from others' mistake or if you don't if you don't learn them, uh, you're definitely going to go to that rabbit hole and 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 after you're gonna learn that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting challenge that we face as humans that often we don't learn from others. We have to learn from our own uh, our own our own uh, mistakes. But uh, for anyone who who um, watch this, listen to this, if you're in Canada, hope you have a wonderful long weekend. Uh, if you're not in Canada, hope you have a wonderful weekend anyways. Um, but uh, thank you again for, for checking this out and uh, look forward to the next one. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.